listening to Women's Reality Radio, America's fresh new podcast, bringing you the conversations women really want to be having from coast to coast. Here you'll find refreshingly personal views and insights on business, money, medicine, social issues, and relationships, all produced by women for women. Zero so-called reality celebrity clutter. Women's Reality Radio. Change your conversation. Change your reality. Welcome to Women's Reality Radio. I'm Sherry Young, your host, and today we are talking money. I have a guest with me today who is an inspiring woman. She and I have become good friends, and I'm excited to have her here on the show. Uh, She's teaching me a lot about money, a lot about entrepreneurialism, and believing in yourself. Stephanie Crow is a seasoned bank executive who has spent two decades advising clients on wealth-building strategies, and developing and managing portfolios. She recently left a senior position with a community bank in order to pursue her own vision of working directly with families, women, and millennials. Today, she serves as Director of Wealth, Knowledge, and Happiness, that is a real title, for Stonebridge Asset Management, And she is here to talk with us about wherever you may find yourself relating to money, whether you have more than you need, never enough, or you just don't know what you need to be doing with your money. Stephanie's here to tell us that it's never too late to get started managing your money wisely. Welcome, Stephanie. Thank you for being here today. Sherry, thank you so much for inviting me. It's always a pleasure talking with you. Well, let's just dig right into it because I think we have about 30 minutes for this this episode and we're on a tight schedule. So first of all, tell our listeners your story, how you came into this money business that you're in. Sure. I fell into it. Um, It was a little bit of serendipity. Uh, I realized looking back, I kind of had a uh, an itch to scratch related to money. I grew up in a military family. Uh, my dad is a war veteran. He came out of Vietnam and um, the basically was out during one of the worst economic times. If folks remember around 1980, interest rates were high. It was near impossible to finance a house. Um, coming out of the military environment, I saw that he he had challenges translating a military skill set into civilian uh, work. And my devoted mother, who had given up her education to move us and take care of the family, we were moving every few years. Um, she didn't have a skill set to really provide for the family. We went without insurance. My brother had health issues. So we had medical bills mounting. It was a very stressful financial situation during some formative years. And I went off to college, University of Notre Dame. Uh, I I got good grades. Everyone thought I should be a doctor. I studied pre-med and anthropology. And coming out of that four-year program, I sort of just lost the fire in the belly for medical school. So I took a break, waited tables in Cocoa Beach for a summer, trying to figure myself out. Um, Again, through sort of a weird chain of events, I landed in a trust department at a very young age, I think I was 23, and it was a very entry-level job supporting um, trust advisors, investment professionals, 
And I, at that point, I started learning the craft of investing in wealth management and fell in love with how money works. I was fascinated by it. And more than anything, I was absolutely enamored with my clients who had such diverse experiences. They were wealth builders. Um, you know, no two situations matched. And I became a student to not just help them and advise them and take care of them, but also to learn from their experience, um, things they did well, mistakes they made. And so my two decades in wealth services isn't just learning the technicals of how to manage money and how to manage your financial statement, but it really, I think the depth of the experience I've been able to garner has been through um, the gift of having so many great examples of um, client relationships and people that have really mentored me over the last 20 years. Exactly. So it sounds like you had pretty humble beginnings. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, just a, a family that was dedicated to education. I always like to say, if you're coming from humble means um, and your family invests in education and puts education above everything, above cars, above houses, that was my family. And so education was preeminent. And really that gift, that value is what I think um, was my first step toward starting to build, um, you know, a, a financially thriving picture. So education's got to come first. And from there, I think folks can begin to educate themselves on um, how, how to make money work for them. And let's talk about that because you've left a solid position with a community bank uh, where you were part of senior management there. Mm -hmm. And now you're on your own. You have mm -hmm. your own business. You've partnered up with um, Stonebridge Asset mm -hmm. Management. And I, just from knowing you, I know you're really passionate about educating people um, yes. on, you know, how to become savvy uh, with yes. their money. And, you know, we've talked about starting wherever you are um, from that point, you know, practicing uh, saving, investing, knowing what you're spending, all those things we'll touch on in the show. But tell me what you're passionate about. Let me hear what it is you're out doing in, uh, today in your business. Sure. So I was so fortunate to find a team that had um, a like vision. I think when you're working around folks that share your passion, share your values, share your vision, um, create a great team chemistry and a culture where folks are working hard, but they're having fun. This is a smart, self-deprecating, uh, hardworking team that just, I guess, leads with kindness and service. And that's, that, those are people that I love to spend time with. Um, I have started a wealth group in the past for a company, for a bank. And I knew that that was so intensive. And so in this place in my life. I am taking an entrepreneurial bent, but I'm doing it surrounded by a team that is sharing the tasks and the responsibilities. And so it frees me up then to focus on the things I love doing, which is being in front of the clients and helping to create the right strategies. Um, edu educating obviously is hugely important. I can only do that because I've got this stellar team behind me that's helping with the analytics and the operations and the compliance and everything it takes to run a business. 
and I want to back up and say this was a big move mid-career because I've spent 20 plus years uh, working for corporations with a salary, with benefits, 401ks, health insurance. Um, but at a young age, because of my family's financial stresses, I became just hyper motivated to start to build some kind of some kind of foundation, some kind of security um, personally, and then it became with my husband and for our children. And and honestly, in looking back over the years, the things that I was doing as a 22 year old, a 23 year old, beginning to save in a 401k, beginning to put back um, an emergency stash of money, those things positioned me mid career to um, take a break and say, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to step away from a salary. I'm going to step away from a corporate setup and pursue something that's going to be so much more entrepreneurial, flexible, directly connected to with my clients. Um, and potentially could be, you know, over time, a a larger value creator for me. So I, I guess I'm backing in to say, when you take incremental steps, wherever you are in life, those incremental steps will build something for you and over time will give you way more options to change jobs, start a company, retire early, whatever. And I love to find people wherever they at, wherever they're at to say, you know, what what would you like to see happen? How much time do we have? And this is what we've got to do to get there. Exactly. So let's talk about that because you know, we you have worked with me a little bit on, you know, we've talked about my money and, um, you know, things I can do. And, and I want to work more closely with you in that regard. But just in covering some of these basics with our listeners sure. today, um, you know, one of the things we've talked about that you've stressed to me is just knowing actually how much money you have to invest or save. In fact, I think you've asked me that question and I didn't really know the answer. So, you know, how do you attack that? Do what? How do you attack that? Yeah. It's like, how do you, how do, how do I know how much I have to save or invest? Because generally speaking, you know, especially if you're working with entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs like myself, um, you know, everything we have is going back into our business or to our families. That's our, the conversation we're having with ourselves. Yeah. So, so how do we get started? So I love to put my banker hat on and I realized having sort of surfed the, the place where wealth management and investing comes to meet private banking and how bankers think and act. I always love to say that the best place to get started is in, uh, is in building your own personal financial statement. And we don't always do that. Sometimes we're looking at our 401k balance. We're looking at our checking balance. But if you don't have a personal financial statement built, um, now's the time to do it. It's going to be your, um, it's going to be your profile. And it's, it's the place where you can't really hide. And you're going to see in stark, uh, in a stark picture, what's really working for you and what could be strengthened. And so a personal financial statement and, um, they're available, you know, on the web, I'm happy to send a form if somebody needs one. It basically is a synopsis of your assets, the things you own, your liabilities, what you owe and the difference. And so your difference is your net worth. And that's really, um, the strength of your financial picture. Are you worth more than what you owe. 
And depending on how old you are and depending on how much money you make, that net worth number will change over time. And it's a, it's a indicator of your financial stability, your financial health, if you can weather an unexpected challenge, a downturn in the economy, a loss of a job or a health issue, if you can focus on building that net worth number, that's going to be a signal that you are on track to um, retiring in comfort um, and being financially independent over time. And we can spend a little bit more time talking about the types of assets and the types of liabilities, Sherry. But when you complete a net, when you complete your personal financial statement, it will show if you might be too weak with um, liquid assets. Maybe you don't have enough cash back to cover near-term emergencies. It will show if um, maybe you're really aggressive with, with retirement savings, but um, but you know you may fall short with home ownership. You know, and that could be something to look at to continue to build your wealth. I love I love this. One, I love this also because we don't always track what we borrow. And I think it's really important in building your financial statement to say, how am I borrowing? How am I using debt? Is it debt that is um, serving me well and allowing me to acquire appreciating assets, assets that grow in value? Or is it just debt that's here to feed my lifestyle and it isn't really powering my financial life, if that makes sense? Yes. And a couple of things. One this reminds me of basically getting a physical. <laughs> yes, yes, it's like it's the, it's your metrics. It is your basic metrics. Yes, and so it doesn't matter how well you think you're doing, right? Because we we tend to gauge, you know, oh, I didn't spend that much on on such and such this month, or I didn't go out to eat, you know, or whatever. It can feel like you're doing well, but really, it's that objective, um, you know, summary of everything, what you owe, what you own that has monetary value. And um, at the end of the day, say the other part is really, it's just your, your worth and then your debts and then the difference between the two. I, and I love to say how important this is because I've had clients that make tremendous incomes um, but their lifestyle consumes so much of that. And so at the end of the day, um, you know, a, a, a country club membership is not going to fund retirement. Um, you know, luxury automobiles are great to drive, but they don't fund a retirement. And so I love to challenge. It's not so much what you make. Making money is great, but it's really about how you're putting the money you make to work. And a book that spoke to me hugely as somebody who was pre-med and anthropology and undergrad in the mid nineties, working for a trust department, I stumbled onto um, a millionaire next door and a couple of anthropologists were hired by a trust company to really peel back um, who are the millionaires? Who are we really trying to serve? And what was beautiful about that was that sometimes bankers and trust officers think that it's the folks with all the accoutrements, all the, you know, living the good life, that those are the clients. And what this book showed was that the millionaire next door, um, the really successful millionaires are the ones living next door to you. You do not even know they have those assets put back but they've got a company, they're driving an American-made car, their kids are going to high-quality public schools. Uh, these, are, these are people who are not necessarily living the high lifestyle, 
but what they make, they absolutely put it to work in a powerful way. And more than anything, this book told me that the power of financial well-being is based in behaviors and everyday decisions. It has less to do with um, tactical decisions. Those are important. But the incremental things that we do every day, how we decide to spend a dollar, um, those are the things that cumulatively will add up and contribute to our financial independence. Yes. So let's go back to these basics because some of us may not even be thinking about retirement, but yet when you ask me how much I have to put back, you know, putting back now and saving on a monthly basis would, you know, for myself and others, it may just be, I'm actually trying to build that six month cushion that you've recommended to me in the past. And will you tell me about that? Sure. So I'd say there are a couple legs to the stool. Um, One would be six months of your living expenses put back in a rainy day fund, not in your checking account, but a money market account, something that is liquid. You could get your hands on it if you need it, but it's not something you're drawing from on a regular basis. And you should be able to earn a little bit more interest in that vehicle. So six months of your living expenses put back as your emergency cash stash. That is something to work toward. Okay. Okay, and where would we just, and we can get more complicated in future episodes, but just, you know, from the hip, what are a couple of good options as to where we would put that money? So if you already have a bank relationship, you can talk to your banker and they typically have specials or if you're a loyal customer and you make great referrals, they may give you a special incentive rate for your money market. So you can either um, seek out the bank that you have a relationship with. There are several um, internet banks who are offering um, great yields on rates. They they don't have the bricks and mortar uh, that the that the local banks have, and so they're also hungry for business. And you can you can shop that. But I'd like to say that I want to I want to highlight the other stools because or the other legs of the stool, and that. Your six months emergency stash um, is something to work toward while you're getting there. If you have a job with a company that offers a 401k match, you cannot afford to pass that up. If somebody is paying you a dollar for your dollar invested or 50 cents for your dollar invested, that's just money. You know, that's just money somebody's handing you. So work to um, grow into putting money back in your 401k that will maximize the match that your employer is providing. Um, when you are ready, your six month emergency stash could also be a place for you to grow money toward investing in your first house. Um, owning, owning, I say a moderate house. Don't, don't overbuy. You don't want to sink yourself with a mortgage that you really can't maintain long-term, but home ownership is also a powerful way to continue to build uh, wealth over time. And so those are those are three basics I would say in that you always want to look at your risks and make sure you're properly insured. So okay, and so as far as where to put that money that we're saving for that 6 month period of time, you recommend a money market account? Mhm. Okay. All right. So don't take it to um at the public stock. <laughs> Right. Yeah. You don't, this is not um, day trading money for sure. No, 
No, no, no. We want to be very, very careful and conservative with this and, money. And you know, if you have a if you have a um, family, and if you're the only provider, I say six months just as a guideline. But there's always ways to go around it. I have families who mom and dad are earning similar amounts of money. So if one loses a job, the other one's still employed. That plays pretty well. Maybe they can get by with four months put back because it's unlikely both of them will be unemployed at the same time. I have families where they have a bigger lifestyle and it's one person driving that income. And that family, you know, they have big expenses. And so in that scenario, that family may need 12 months of expenses put back because if for some reason dad loses a $300,000 a year job, and it takes a while for that job to be replaced, well, that family's going to need a longer runway to cover expenses, um, to maintain a lifestyle. So I, I want to say there are always caveats, uh, depending on the family situation and how income is being distributed by the breadwinners and how much money that family spends. Okay. And what about, um, I know you're a mother and I know that you've had, you know, friends and colleagues uh, talk to talk with you or have their their young adult children talk with you or maybe teenage children at what point for those of us who are listening today mm-hmm. you know do we involve our kids in this these conversations I say early and I feel like times are changing in such a way where families are open to that when I got started in a trust department over 20 years ago there was still this funny thing about money. And sometimes the folks making the money didn't necessarily want to talk about it. And what I saw sometimes happening was kids inheriting money at a later age in life without the skills and the tools and the behaviors to really handle it. And it was almost like our family has money. We don't want to talk about it. You're going to inherit something at some point but we don't want to talk about it. (laughs) And so what I found was um, I've had clients who've inherited significance of the money and by virtue of um, just, you know, not having as much comfort, not building their own education, not having a lot of practice and making decisions and inheritance can go pretty fast. Yes. And so the truth is to your question, it's a huge honor for me when a client says, hey, I know about this stuff, but I'm not comfortable talking to my kid or my child just may not be as receptive to hear this from me as they would be hearing it from you. Will you sit with them? And it really, in my mind, it's never too young. I've actually done uh, like a little money money 101 tutorial to um, first graders, just like, like the basics of money and got them thinking. Um, wow. Yeah. And it's, it's what I love to say too, is that, uh, sometimes parents or grandparents are afraid of kids making mistakes. And I like to say, Hey, give them, give them something, give them smaller sums sooner. And if they make a bad decision, they're going to learn. And so it's almost like those baby steps, like you're going to fall down, you're going to scrape your knees. It's better to do that with smaller sums sooner so that they can then develop the um, perspective, the sense of responsibility, the accountability to do better with larger sums later. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, I was having a conversation with my son just this weekend. He's almost 17 and he's trying to justify in his mind the expense of college. 
Oh my goodness. Yes. And he's, which is a whole nother show and conversation, but he's, I was thrilled that he wanted to talk about it because the wheels are turning now that he's, you know, he has a car and he has an allowance for fuel and, and he's responsible for, you know, that amount of money each month. And he's working toward college now. He's just a couple of years away. And, um, he wants to pursue something pretty technical that doesn't necessarily tie in well with a four-year bachelor's degree. It may, it may sure. take him a different direction. So sure. the bottom line is, is he was he wanted me to explain why he had to go to college. Mm-hmm. Um, and he had figured out mathematically how that didn't make sense. Oh, he's brilliant. I- this may, he may be the next Bill Gates. Uh, maybe so, but it was really, really interesting. And I, and, and, you know, I basically said, well, you know, I'm not saying you have to go, you know, but what I want you to do, and it sounds like, um, it's what you're telling your clients and what you're telling us today. It's, it's basically know what your goals are, wherever you are, whether you're just, you know, you're in high school, you're coming out of college with your first job or you're finding yourself in midlife, maybe even post-divorce. Um, you may even have a little panic or urgency about your future. And, you know, I think looking at where you are, what you actually have, getting that objective sheet down, that financial statement, you know, Google financial statement, PDF, pull it up off the internet, print it out and start filling that out and take a hard look at where you are and, depending on your goals, then you know what you need to be putting back. It may not be for retirement. Some people may not want to retire, but it, you know, it's still that safety net. If you were to get sick or something were to happen, I basically said to my son, you need to talk to people in your industry who are doing what you say you want to do, find out what they're really making and, and look at, you know, talk to a lot of different people and find out what their qualifications are and ask them, you know, what prepared them the most for the work that they're doing and the, and the income that they're able to um, require and, and to create. And so then you can figure out what you need to invest in order for that to pay off. And so it sounds like it's the same thing, whether I'm my age or his age. It's interesting because the clients I've had who were the Bill Gates, the entrepreneurs who um, were maybe too ADHD to complete college and started companies or joined companies and ended up running them or owning them. I've had a handful of clients um, that have done that without the education, the completed education, super smart. They have a different kind of education. They've got, you know, the business education, but it's so interesting because I think that that path to success is um, a narrower path. I think it's harder to become a Bill Gates. It's not impossible, but it's harder. And the clients I've had who found that success, who didn't obtain their four-year degree, have stressed and invested in education for their children. So these individuals who made it financially um, and are hugely successful in business what I see is they're not allowing their kids not to get the education. They still think 
that at least that four years is um, a must do. Yeah, that's interesting. That's I want a, a whole different show. You know, that's a whole different show. That's a whole different show. But for hey, us talking about, it's never too late to start today. Um, getting that information down on paper, and then you know, Stephanie, what would you say to someone who says, "Well, I I I have everything on paper. Mm-hmm. I know what I'm making." And I'm not really seeing that I can um, contribute very much on a regular basis to a money market. I mean, how little is too little? And, you know, it's, does it really matter if you have, you know, a small amount of money, $25, $35 or? So this is where, this is where a consultation is so critical because um, I got started at 23 with very minimal money, very minimal. I wasn't making much. Um, I just put a little bit back in my emergency stash. I put a little bit back in my 401k. Um, I bought a very, very modest house. My mortgage payment was $300 a month. But by virtue of having just a little bit of money and then putting it to work very um, strategically, even with small dollars, what happened was the habits, the behaviors were were, were put in place. And then from there... When I got a bonus, when I got a promotion, um, I, I put back a little more and a little more. So I would say getting started is more important because you're going to create the behaviors and the patterns that will then continue to fuel the seeds that you've planted. Um, a consultation is so important because the the excuses and maybe not excuses, but challenges are all valid. And it's, it's important to have an outside perspective to say, Hey, um, you know, maybe you own too much house. Maybe you don't need this much house. Uh, you know, a bigger house brings higher taxes, brings more insurance. Um, you've got to usually drive a nicer car to park in front of that nicer house. Like sometimes just having a real conversation, like it's just you and your kid. Do you really need 5,000 square feet? Like it's, it's really important sometimes to say, where's your money working for you? Where could it be more efficient? Where could it be more effective? Where is it more meaningful? Um, I, I like to, I like to, to see where people are sort of doubling up. So if you feel like real estate's important and you've got a lot in real estate, um, sometimes it's time to look at other asset classes and diversify. When, when folks come to me and say, Hey, I heard this was a good investment. Should I invest here? Well, go to your go to your personal financial statement. Like, let's look at your total picture and then we'll, we'll compare and contrast options. And maybe there is a great investment idea there, but if you have a lot of other investments that match that, well, you're not diversifying. And, you know, when you're not diversified, you can have wild swings up and wild swings down. So I always, I always love to help folks create the context um, it, it's, you, you know, you can't, you can't do things in stages all the time. Sometimes you got to have a little bit of a scattershot approach. You can't, you can't like only work on your six month emergency stash and then move and only focus on home ownership and then move and then only focus on retirement. Like you got to sort of push levers, um, a, a little bit, uh, you know, I'd, I'd say, You've got to do a little bit of everything. And then as the money situation flows, it'll just continue to be enhanced over time. But the debt, the debt picture is huge, Sherry. The debt picture is huge. And I see that is where families get 
hung up. And, and that's a sensitive place because, um, debt is, um, is something people take on because they're usually doing something that's valuable to them, something that's important to them. Maybe it's a lot of debt for your kid's education. Maybe it's a lot of debt for the house of your dreams. Um, but, uh, but is your, is, is your debt in line with your, with your income, um, with your total financial profile, uh, that, that the, the more you can manage your debt, the more your assets will have a chance to truly work for you and shine. And I like to tell women, especially I've, I've spent 20 years sort of focused on men as the drivers of the financial situation in the houses. But as more and more women come into money, um, several of my friends are the major breadwinners in their households. So that's just exciting. And so I, I tend to talk to women as, um, folks who are sort of standing up and saying, Hey, you know, guys don't handle money all the time anymore. And, and I embrace that. And I love to tell women, it's exciting to see us increase our incomes. Um, we've got to make sure as we do that, that we're thinking about appreciating assets and not depreciating assets, um, and lifestyles, vacations, shoes and purses and, uh, you know, all that fun stuff like that's not going to fund a retirement. And the more that you can create, build assets that will, um, kick off an income on itself. If you can, if you can put away money toward appreciating assets that over time will continue to grow and appreciate or, um, kick off income for you, you'll wake up and it'll be like your finances are cre- our financial engine creating money for you without you having to go work for it. And that's a real exciting place to be. Wow. I do, that's I wonderful. This book, the, the, the millionaire next door book that I referenced has a great formula for folks to um, assess how they're doing with their net worth and how well they're tracking. If they're over accumulators or if they're under accumulators but the formula is your income times your age divided by 10. And if you take that number and you build your financial statement, see where your net worth lands. And if you're ahead of that number, you're doing great. You're doing all the right stuff. Keep it up. And if you're below that number, there's some work to do and it's okay. It just, it kind of just gives you a barometer of what, um, you know, what a strong performance looks like. Yeah. I think this is so helpful. I mean, if anything, you know, people tend to, if, if we want to ignore anything, it's, it's our health or our weight, or it could be, you know, money, you know, it just, or, or the amount of debt people have, you know, they just don't want to think about it. It feels sometimes, you know, overwhelming and, too big to tackle. And so I feel really encouraged from hearing you talk today because, um, you know, as for me personally, as a a midlife middle-aged woman, um, you know, working toward building my business, uh, co-funding college and preparing for my future. Sometimes it feels like, you know, I don't even know where to start, you know, Sherry, but you're making a good point. And, and to go back to the millionaire next door, the entrepreneurs um, tend to rise above versus, and the book says this, versus professionals, like high-income professionals. So I'll pick on bankers, doctors, lawyers, like the, the, the higher income um, professional set 
tends to have a lifestyle that consumes more of the income derived. And the book points out that the folks who are self-employed, who are building businesses, they know how to bootstrap, they cut coupons, they make money work, and really the driver of their wealth over time becomes their business that then they can liquidate and sell for a premium or will just create an engine of income. So you're you're on the path, you know, midlife, you're investing in a venture that could be a tremendous vehicle for wealth creation. And I like to encourage women, especially, there's so many statistics that are saying women midlife um, are seizing the opportunity to become self-employed. Yes. And I'm just excited to see what that's going to mean for women on the whole as we monetize our value. Yes, exactly. And hopefully for our daughters as well. You know, when I was growing up, I, you know, I really didn't have conversations about money with my parents. And um, I know that my mom was very involved in, in money decisions with my father. They had a long 50-year marriage um, before she passed. But, you know, it wasn't really something that I came out equipped to talk about. I mean, I didn't, I wasn't at all financially savvy. I knew how to work. Uh, my father put me to work at age 11. Um for money, you know, with things I could do around the home and in his business. So I knew how to work, but I, I couldn't really translate my earnings into, um, you know, it's like, there's the money, but it, there wasn't really a conversation about what to do with it. And so I think my generation and your generation of women, you know, particularly in the South, I mean, I hate to typecast, but I think, you know, largely we came out unequipped in that category. Um, Well, and when you think about it, it wasn't just that it felt improper to talk about money and families, but it didn't, it wasn't even encouraged with women and girls. And so it's almost like women, we got the double whammy of society thinking money's not cool to talk about, but the guys could talk about it because that's sort of what guys do. But the women shouldn't be talking about it because that's just impolite. So I feel like we are having to overcome some social barriers and constraints. And I'm excited about women sharing money stories. I think that women can share stories without revealing specific numbers, without talking about zeros on a deal or a transaction, but just some of these life lessons. I saw this. I tried this. I made this decision. Um, this is how it turned out. And the more that we can share those stories, I think we can challenge each other. Um, we can inspire each other. Um, we can help each other, uh, avoid the dumb tax, you know, the dumb tax, which is, I just didn't know better. And I did it. And I repeated that mistake or the, the person next to me, maybe I can help them avoid that. Yeah. Um, I'd like to say that I'm learning midlife and part of my title, the director of wealth, knowledge, and happiness. It's a, it's a hard earned title. I've had periods of my life where I was working hard and making money, but just exhausted. My health was uh, suffering. I was just not in a good place. And so I've I've come through that to say, it's got to be about something more than just making money. Like, where's that sweet spot of Amen. (laughs) Yeah. And then the other thing I'm paying attention to, I'm going back to my anthropology roots, which is behaviors, thinking, paradigm, um, what's comfortable, what's uncomfortable, all of those things can either help us or hurt us with money. And a good example of that is that in, in thinking about leaving a safe corporate job 
it was really uncomfortable for me because I had a family that experienced unemployment, a tough economy, some deep financial stresses as a kid. And so I was sort of think about what a depression era baby feels. I had a little bit of that in my training. And so it took a lot for me mid-career to kind of disengage from that mindset and say, I've done the right things. I've had 20 years of eating my own cooking in this way. And if there's, there will never be a better time for me to try something that's more entrepreneurial. So I had to, I had to overcome some of my early um, habits, training and fears to launch into something that is absolutely right for me. It just goes to show you that the things that make us successful at certain stages of life could hold us back later. And so that title is kind of a, a nod to the fact that we're all learning, we're all growing, and we need to challenge our own paradigms to make sure that we're engaging with our money in a healthy, constructive way, and that there aren't kind of deep-seated things that might be um, hurting us from achieving our goals. Exactly. Yeah. And there is a book on that. You know, I talk about it. I'm going to throw it out quickly because we do need to wrap. But if you, you know, we all have deep-seated things we have to deal with. And and that's just living in a, a time when, you know, awareness is key, being mindful of uh, anything that we bring in, anything we bring into our behaviors, whether it's how we relate to people or how we relate to food or how we relate to money. I just want to throw out um, a, one of my heroines, um, Meadow DeVore, D-E-V-O-R. For those of you listening, please Google her. Um, you can get her book called Money Love through Amazon. Um, she has written a really amazing book. Uh, Basically, it's a workbook. You work through it, um, and you can connect with her directly as well. Um, and what you're doing is you're looking at the mindset or the feeling, the thought, and the thought process you're having when you're spending money, whether you're coming from a place of scarcity or a place of abundance. And um, if you find that you're in a place where money kind of has you, your money has you, and you don't have it, and you're not able to even start with, you know, ground zero, like Stephanie has, has suggested here, take a look at that book, Money Love, see what's behind your spending or your, even your, uh, saving your fear of spending. People have that too. Um, you know, and get, just get real with yourself, get in reality, do that self work so that you come to a healthier place in your relationship with money and you can actually begin to build, uh, your own wealth, knowledge, and happiness formula for your life. And I'm so excited that you're doing this work, Stephanie. You're really inspiring. It's so cool that you're this approachable and down to earth. Um, you, I have to say you're the opposite of my, um, you know, mythical idea of what a wealth advisor would be. <laughs> Well, thank you. That's a huge compliment. Well, you're so relatable and um, welcoming and it just, you know, it helps me and I hope it helps our listeners to know, just set aside the guilt or the conversations that that aren't pr producing the results you need to have. Take a look at where you are. And if you need to reach out with to Stephanie, I really encourage you to do that. She is available to you wherever you live. Stephanie, you work with people. Um virtually through Skype and telephone. They don't necessarily have to be in Tennessee like we are, correct? Absolutely not. Yeah. And I'm, I'm just looking 
to work with people that I enjoy, that share similar values and aspirations. Um, in my mind, that's the most fun is, is, uh, sort of in partnership with my clients. That's what I enjoy. Awesome. So you can find Stephanie on LinkedIn. It's Her name is spelled S-T-E-F-A-N-I-E, Crow, C-R-O-W-E. You can also go to her website, stonebridge-am.com, which is Stonebridge Asset Management. Or you can email Stephanie at S-Crow, S-C-R-O-W-E, at stonebridge-am.com. Stephanie, thank you so much for being with us today. Sherry, thank you. We hope you enjoyed this Women's Reality Radio podcast. Tune in daily, browse our online podcast library, and subscribe to womensrealitydaily.com for real-life relevant articles delivered direct to your inbox. To be a guest on one of our podcasts or to purchase a monthly sponsorship, email us at contact at womensrealitynetwork.com.